Hey, this is Mark and Deline. Um, Charles Spurgeon once said, or he made reference to that sometimes a lot of Christians treat Scripture like toys. You know, they, they just uh, they entertain them and play with them for a little while, then they put them back on the shelf. And so um, we just want to dive a little deep into some Scriptures maybe you've heard. Uh, we want to talk about the Scripture, uh, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 19-24 for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in this flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was sitting in jail awaiting his execution. I have had verse 21 running through my head constantly for the past two days. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I often remind myself that it is not I who lives but Christ in me, especially when I am struggling to obey. I have never sweated blood, nor can I even fathom the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical torment Jesus underwent in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed that this cup would be removed from him. However, I personally am not a fan of spiritual travail, nor am I a fan of any kind of torment. It is not something my flesh gladly embraces. That is when I find myself reminding my flesh that it is that it does not live and it does not get to try to resurrect itself. Sometimes it is a daily battle, but I have determined that it will not be me that lives this life, but Christ in me. As I have pondered verse 21, I have begun to understand a little better why to live as Christ. Because of that battle between the spirit of man, the flesh, and the spirit of God, it is difficult to crucify the flesh and give up everything that made me, me, on the altar before God and say, it is not I who lives. It is difficult to walk the repentant lifestyle as a slave to obedience, which is the least I can do for him. It hurts. It is a slow, agonizing death of the flesh. It is lonely. It is not something that is supported because we live in a world that strongly supports and encourages, even in Christian circles, the be kind to self movement. I remember last year saying to Mark when I was travailing a whole lot over various prophetic messages, I kept saying, I walk alone. I walk alone. And it wasn't that I didn't realize he was there supporting me. It was just such a lonely road to walk alone yeah and i didn't understand what she was saying at first i, I thought that she was attacking uh, you <laughs> yeah and saying she's the only one and this and that and i'm like no you're not the only one so now i understand what she was saying you know because there's a lot of times i felt alone too in myself where you sit in church and you're just like does anybody here even get it you know and you know i understand what she was saying she was right about that where you start talking about something and immediately you feel a halt in your spirit that mm -hmm. just says just stop you're way over their heads or you can't go here yeah um, and that that's lonely because our desire we are we are created for fellowship we're created for fellowship with God and with each other and our desire is to have support from the church our desire is to have support from others to be amongst like-minded Christians to fellowship and unity but it is a very lonely walk 
to walk along the same path as Christ. Um, even Jesus being surrounded by his disciples when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane was left alone because they couldn't stay awake long enough to mm-hmm. pray with him. Um, even though the, the angels were there ministering to him, he felt alone um, going up you know, through the torment and the persecution and the beatings and the crown of thorns and the mockery and then hanging on that cross. It was all alone. He did it alone. Um, so sometimes to walk in the footsteps of, of Christ, to truly, truly walk, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, that for that part to be real, not I who lives, but Christ in me, to really, truly take up your cross and follow, cross and follow him becomes a very lonely um, walk in this world especially when you're in that time um where maybe you're just in your you're just going your day-to-day life nothing seems to be special or anything like that um the mundane yeah you're not involved in any kind of big type ministry thing or god just has you where he needs you at that moment and it's just you and him walking and that's really because your day-to-day pressures you know, it's like when Jesus said not to worry because today has enough troubles of its own. And when your daily troubles are coming at you, but there's no release for it, there's no, it's not a lot of fellowship, there's not, this doesn't seem like there's a lot of support or anything like that. That's really when it hits you. But like this guy I heard saying this week, he said, you know, in those, even though you might be in a mundane part of life, it might be smack dab in the center of his will because that's mm-hmm. where he has you for this moment. That fellowship with him. And him alone, you know. Well, to go back to the be kind to self movement or the give yourself grace movement, um, where would we be if Christ had practiced being kind to himself? Would he have gone to the cross in obedience to the Father or would he have bowed his knee to Satan when he was offered the whole world? Um, and I just think that, you know, that's a very powerful thought for me. Where would I be if Christ had practiced giving himself grace? Or if he had practiced being kind to himself. And that's very different to taking care of himself when he needed to rest. Or taking care of his body when he had to, you know, in order to do the work of the Father, he had to take care of himself. That's very different to what we do these days. You know, for me, be kind to myself means let's have a bowl of ice cream every night. But that's not healthy and that's not treating my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not taking care of it and keeping it in peak um, performance condition to do the work of the ministry. Um, To, you know, to be kind to myself and watch a movie instead of going to bed because it makes me feel better. But then I'm too tired to do what I need to do the next day. That is detrimental it's not being kind to myself isn't necessarily the right thing there is take care of the instrument that god has given you which is your mind and your body and your spirit and then there is man's version which is to enter into satisfying the lusts of the flesh and i think like what you said is a good point because so you had a hard day and so you know you should be in bed going to sleep but you watch a movie because it makes you feel better so you end up staying up late and then the next day you're tired and you have another bad day and so you watch a movie again because it makes you feel better it's kind of like an addiction type deal you know i mean Mm -hmm. 
it's just you or get you're into, tired and you you know you can't have caffeine before you go to bed but you have it because it makes you mm, feel better and you just yeah. need to pick me up and then you can't go to bed and then you have to take like a sleeping pill to get you to go to sleep and you know it's, it's just that vicious cycle of lacking discipline yeah um and so in being kind to ourselves we're actually not treating our bodies as an instrument that needs to be disciplined and that needs to come into subjection um, to the spirit of God. Um, God's kingdom is in complete opposition to man's version of worldly good. His servants should have a different mindset from the world. We ought to come out from amongst them and be separate. Light really does not have fellowship with darkness, but we live in a world where we call evil good and good is labeled evil. So our ability to tell the difference between the kingdom of God which is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of this world, which is Satan's kingdom of darkness, is completely skewed. First Corinthians nine twenty five through twenty seven, every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. We are supposed to be purposeful in what we do. That includes purposefully choosing to crucify the flesh each day, which is disciplining the body and obeying the Spirit of God in all things, so that it is Christ who lives in us. The mind and the mouth are two of the most difficult things to crucify and bring under subjection to the control of the Holy Spirit. Romans twelve two, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a continual process, like an athlete training his body. We renew our mind by putting on Christ, by meditating on his word day and night, and allowing the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and reveal the mysteries of Scripture to us. It is not revelation knowledge until the Holy Spirit himself reveals and quickens his word to us in such a way that it has transformative or renewing power. When man conveys what the Holy Spirit has taught him, it is just inspirational inspiration knowledge because man does not have the ability to make the connections in our mind that the Holy Spirit makes. When the Holy Spirit makes those connections, a lot of information is conveyed in a few seconds. So man does not have that ability. So what man conveys, um, when the Holy Spirit, Spirit teaches man, when man conveys it to another man, it is inspiration knowledge. But when the Holy Spirit takes that man's word and uses his own word, the word of God, the Bible, to truly reveal his perception and mind regarding the application of that scripture and that teaching, it becomes revelation knowledge that will transform and renew us to become more like Christ. Man does not have the ability to make us more like Christ. He does not have the ability to help us to transform or renew our minds. Only God via the Holy Spirit can do that work in us. The mouth of the tongue. Now, those are the most difficult body parts to discipline. James 3.8 But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Here, it is best to follow Jesus' example. As Christians, we are prone to giving good advice based on our, on our own reasoning and perception of what we think God's word says on a matter because of how man has taught us to view those scriptures. But we can't go around giving good advice if it is not God's advice. Otherwise, we will inflict damage on the person we're trying to help. And Mark and I have, have been um, victims of man's good advice um, where 
people with the best intentions wanting to mentor us or help us or spiritually guide us because they were older than us or what for whatever reason would try to give us advice about our kids or about our marriage or whatever and all it did was inflict a lot of damage because that person had no idea of what the situation was. They were not speaking what the Holy Spirit led them to speak. They were speaking of their own experience and what they understood um, based on what men had taught them through the years, generations of traditional church church teachings where when you speak, you need to speak what the Holy Spirit tells you to speak. Jesus was clear about the words he spoke his entire, his entire time on earth. John 12, 49. For I did not speak my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. That's one of our favorite scriptures in this house, that we do not want to speak of our own accord, but we want to speak that which the Holy Spirit commands us to speak. Um, and that whatever we do, we only do what God tells us to do, nothing more, nothing less. Jesus said that he did not speak of his own accord, but only what the Father commanded him to say and what to speak. That should be our prayer before we open our mouths. Holy Spirit, please give me the words to say and guide or control how I say it. Help me speak the way Jesus would have spoken. Interestingly enough, my personal experience with this is that truth cuts sharper than a two-edged sword. Um, and so when I, when I pray that prayer, what comes out of my mouth isn't necessarily how I would expect Jesus to sound or how I would expect whatever the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to come out. Um, it, it generally surprises me. And that's how I often know that it's not me speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking through me. Truth can be gentle. Truth can be harsh. Truth is truth. No matter which way you look at it, it is always truth. God and his word are one. His word is truth. His word does not seek to harm us, but rescue us from the pit of hell. It is not the word of God or the delivery of it that needs to change, but us and our perception of who God is and how he must treat us at certain times in our lives. God and his word are one. His word is truth. His word does not seek to harm us, but rescue us from the pit of hell. It is not the word of God or the, or the delivery of it that needs to change, but us and our perception of who God is and how he must treat us at certain times in our lives. If we are babies, he treats us like babies. But when we are grown adults and expected to serve in his kingdom and clothe ourselves with his righteousness, he is not going to baby us. He is going to expect us to obey the Father and run the race that is set before us until we finish it. There are times God gives us rest, binds our wounds, and ministers to us. But at no point in that process should we forget that we still have a task to do and a race to run. At no point should we become so comfortable in our time of rest that we aren't ready to run to obey the voice of our master. Even in rest, we are still slaves to obedience. We are still bought with a price we can never repay. We should never get complacent about our status during rest. When the master bids, a servant must come, must come and obey. And when I was writing that down, I was just thinking about, you know, just medieval times. It, it didn't matter if a servant was sick. If the master bid them come, they had to get out of their bed and come. And it, you know, if they had gotten hurt <laughs> when they were out in the fields and the master bid them come, they had to get up. And go to the field um, a lot of times during you know slave days and Jesus doesn't treat us like this and God doesn't treat us like that but after they had been beaten they were still expected to you know 
bind their wounds and get up and go to work um, because they had to do the will of their master. Um, and we forget that our master doesn't beat us. He doesn't treat us badly. He gave his life for us. So how much more should we run to obey him regardless of how we feel? And I know that right now I'm in a season of <laughs> rest, which is very difficult for me. Rest is difficult for me, but I'm supposed to be in the season of rest. And I find myself, you know, like a runner at a, on a racing block where it's like on your mark, get set. And I'm in the get set position and I'm ready for, you know, God to say go. And instead he says, go sit down and wait. And it keeps happening. I'm ready to go and he'll go sit down and wait. And every now and then, like with this, he'll go, okay, you can run with this. But ever since my dad died, every time I'm ready to go, he goes, sit down and wait. It's not your time. It's, it's not time to do this. Put it on the back burner. Wait. You know, and, and I've got a whole lot of un incomplete messages because every time I want to sit, you know, I, I get on, on, get ready and I'm ready to go and I'm just ready to give me the last bit of that message. He goes, put it away, go sit down and rest. Um, and for me, for me, I don't want to get to a place where I become so comfortable in resting because it was so hard to get to the place of I'm willing to obey and walk this call. I don't want to get to the place where I become so complacent in resting that I don't want to pick it up and run again. I was thinking too of what you're talking about. Um, and I know a lot of people know the story now, but, but one of my favorite hymns, um, obviously it is well, my soul. But I think one of the reasons it stands out so much is because Horatio Spafford, who wrote the thing, I mean, you know, he lost all his children. Well, he lost his son, his beloved son. Then that great fire, Chicago fire happened. He lost all his, a good portion of his wealth. So he sent his wife and four daughters over to uh, England or wherever to have a break to deal with all they lost. And then their boat, he said he was going to join up with them. Their boat sank. And he lost all four children, his four girls, and his wife lived. And so he hopped on immediately hopped on a boat to go sail. And the guy had told him when they he believes they're at the spot where the boat had sank. And he just went to his cabin and he just started writing that song. And when you listen when you really when you think about his story and that night when he sat down and wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way but at the same time he follows it with but but sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot. Which the picture time. isn't really peace. He's talking about a supernatural peace. Supernatural that peace. He's, he's looking beyond what he's feeling. Even though he's got sorrow. And when he, and when he says sorrow is like sea billows roll, it's mm -hmm. just knocking him. It's knocking a storming, him, stormy him. sea, yeah. But he surrenders and says, but whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. You know, and I, I think for me that is so powerful because the man has taken knock after knock after knock after knock. And he could sit there and say... You know what? Don't don't speak to me right now about this, or don't say the Lord gives and the Lord taketh. You know, don't say that. But he he surrenders himself to the will of God and says, "Well, whatever my lot is that you've given to me, mm -hmm. it is well." And I imagine he was probably doing it in tears. You know, mm -hmm. but anyways, it is not I who lives, but Christ in me. Did Christ stop running his race when he was beaten? 
Did he stop when they put the crown on his head? He didn't stop when he cried out, it is finished, bowed his head and gave up his spirit, John 19, verse 30. Death did not stop him. He kept going because three days later, he rose from the dead. And he still did not stop. He gave us the Holy Spirit, ascended into heaven, and still did not stop. He has been been given the name above all names. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And in all of his glory, he still has not stopped working for our good. He is waiting to return for a bride without spot or blemish. And until sin is no more and every single one of us has overcome this world, he will not stop overcoming the world on our behalf. For me to live is Christ. I may get tired. I may may get worn down, but for me to live is Christ. This race of life may be a battle, but for me to live is Christ. Christ the overcomer, Christ victorious, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain, to gain the reward of well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master, Matthew 25 verse 21. To die is to gain a life without striving and an eternity without Satan screwing things up. To die is to gain the original intention of God, his image, his likeness in me, in a new and imperishable body, minus the decay of this world. There is, no, there is so much to gain when dying in Christ. We need to change our perspective to an eternal one. When we suffer for Christ on this earth, it is but a drop of time. When compared to eternity, we put our hope in Christ and spending an eternity with him, knowing that we do not hope in vain. This is not a hope and a desire that will make our hearts sick. This is true hope that when the desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. Proverbs 13 verse 12. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 